welcome to the Rise Up Podcast, the podcast all about empowering women's careers, hosted by me, Susan Dwyer. Each week, I share insights with you from women with different backgrounds, experiences, and learnings. We discuss career-defining moments that led them to where they are today, giving you a unique insight into what actually goes on behind the scenes. Get ready for some candid conversations about leadership, entrepreneurship, failure, confidence, and more. This week, I'm so excited to share my conversation with Jane Renan. Jane is the co-founder of Tallyvest. Tallyvest are a people analytics SaaS company who were recently acquired by Australian firm Go One in 2022. Jane shares so many interesting insights from her entrepreneurial journey, and I cannot wait for you to listen. So Jane, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here. So I feel like I have so many questions for you. I'm never going to get through them all. So why don't we start off? Do you want to tell our listeners about, I suppose, your earlier earlier years and kind of maybe early influences and growing up in, in Cork? Sure. Um, so I used to study in UCC. I did politics and for me looking back probably my biggest achievement was getting into university I'm very dyslexic and like honestly getting my leaving cert was the hardest thing I've ever done I would happily start three companies and have them fail rather than going back to doing my leaving cert I still have nightmares about my leaving cert that and doing my driver test um but I I studied politics I knew early on that I didn't want to continue a career in, in politics but I did use it as um as an opportunity to get involved in different um, societies one of them being the entrepreneurial society and I became the president of that society in my final year and it was almost like running a mini business like we had a committee of 22 committee members you know we had a huge amount of money that we had in terms of like fundraising yeah we did huge events we did these huge um eu mystery tours which would genuinely still have me up thinking about the fact that we brought 50 students to amsterdam and they had no idea where they were going between no trying to get them all back on the plane um but during that time one of the series that we did was we did a lot of entrepreneurial events we invited lots of speakers down and I was always really captivated by the by the stories, understanding how you start a business, what it means to start a business. Um, but then I was always lucky because coming home at nighttime, both my parents are entrepreneurs, and okay. they, you know, their days were always fascinating to myself and my brother because you know my dad runs a shipping company, and every day is very different. My mom, uh, she runs a, um, a mediation business, so obviously that's very different too. So we were getting totally different aspects of what it of what life is like running a business from the highs and the lows. So I think having that early um, kind of opportunity to see behind closed doors what it's like was definitely a very important influence. Um, and so do you think, like, did you always know when you were younger that this is the route that I'm going to go down? No, I, I really didn't, didn't have a clue. I think I probably would flip-flop between deciding I wanted to be a lawyer to I want to work in the shipping industry because that's what our family business is. Um, I really didn't know, but I knew I had always want, I, I wanted it to be around people. Mm-hmm. I really, really believe that business is all around people and it's about relationships and creating those really important bonds. And, and I, and I genuinely believe that, you know, even to sell in, in business, you know, people want to buy from people that they like, that they understand, they want to work with. Um, so I always knew that it would be a people element and, 
I guess for me, it, it, it now looking back, I can understand how I wound up, you know, becoming a self-starter, starting my own, my, my own business because I was always driven by meeting people and trying to get doors open. Okay. And the interesting thing about your story to me, so your entrepreneurial journey and how it all began, like you've never worked for anybody else. You always, like the start of your career, you founded your own company essentially. The only person I've worked with um, or for um I was in my third year placement in university and there is uh a, I, I decided I'd work with with my dad's company in the marketing department to get experience and at the time he had two graduates in working in that department too and one of them is now um he's gone off to work in KBMG and the other guy uh is the CEO of Jim Plus and Coffee Niall Horgan oh, so Niall actually was my first boss ever um, and it's amazing to see now what they've gone off and, and, oh, uh, and wow. done and the growth that they've had. So apart from Niall, no, I haven't worked for anybody else. So, And being in the business that you're in, and I'd love, I'd love you to tell everyone about that now, um, like you're in the business of employee engagement and, and culture and uh, helping companies with that. Having never worked in, I guess, a large organization in a culture was that difficult to figure out or how did you know like what the challenges were when you set up the business? So the business started as a yearbook, really simple. I loved my time in, in university. I wanted to capture it. I didn't want to do it the traditional way because I just didn't have time. So I created an online yearbook and we called it youryearbook.com. And we did everything, you know, digitally. You upload your Facebook photos, you pay online and the day of my graduation, myself and a friend of mine, Dave, who who started the company with me, we were in our gowns selling the yearbooks to our classes. And we had no idea on anything about from business models to cap tables to, you know, route to market, nothing. We just had an idea. We executed it. We, we actually made a bit of money um, and it picked up steam because in Ireland, you know, there's not a, a yearbook culture. It's, it's very mm-hmm. much an, an, an American kind of thing, thing to do. But that opened the door because we started getting asked we, we were getting quite a lot of queries from universities about the data that we were holding on to so we were able to tell a university where people were going to work how to contact them you know we we very much believe that it's better to have somebody's email address rather than their home address mm-hmm. really really simple concepts so that sprung into a company called connect again which was building alumni relation software and again i've never worked in the alumni relations space i've never worked in the tech space before I just saw an idea Um, I am very good at putting up my hands and saying what I'm not good at. Mm-hmm. And I knew that building technology was never something that I was going to strive at. So I went and I wanted to find a CTO. I needed somebody to build out this platform. I could come with a vision and how I wanted this to look and feel. Um, and then I had somebody who was a lot smarter than me who actually went in and built the system. And I think one of my skills is that I'm very good at at kind of seeing different opportunities and not being afraid to pivot when you need to pivot. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's easy to do. It's not. But at the same time, it's about being brave and making the, I guess, making the decision that you know will be the better one in in the in the, in the longer term. Um, and then Connect Again brought me on to Tallyvest, which is the employee engagement space. Um, and that, again, was very much from listening to where, the market's going, listening to our customers, being confident enough to say it's not working in this area. What about we pivot to this area? So I never really sat down day one and said, I want to build 
an employee uh, engagement mm-hmm. analytics system. Um, it very much started from just trying to be in the right place at the right time and just listen. And with that then, did you, at the TallyVest stage, did you, did you seek out a co-founder with a HR background? Was that how it worked? Or? So I have had two different co-founders and again I'm very lucky that I have very good relationships with all of them and they happen quite organically my my very first co-founder Dave you know we just parted ways he wanted to do something different in in his career I was still stubborn enough to keep on kind of scratching the itch Mm -hmm. kind of saying no there's something here and then I had a a, a great co-founder called Helen who was a CTO and that was really interesting because you know sadly still there's not many female CTOs so I feel we had an advantage because we always stood out the fact that there was two female founders and one was the CTO mm. and that wasn't really seen. And uh, I came across Helen just by a mutual friend in UCC. And then my current co-founder is uh, Laura Belly and she was introduced to me by uh, her husband, a guy called Jeff, who is um, who actually took over as CEO in, in Talibus when I went on maternity leave. And what's interesting about Laura is Laura comes from an extensive background of being in the HR bubble. So she was the person who would go out looking for HR systems. You know, she was the person who experienced all the challenges. So she was coming at it from from that from that piece, whereas I was coming at it to say, there's customers saying they want something like this. And um, I have an idea on how it will look and feel. I think we can make this a big company. So she was kind of very much the yin to my yang. And we worked really, really, really well together. And we continue to work really well together, which is great. So I think for, for me, I always think a co-founder is somebody that's not like you. It's like mm-hmm. it's like a relationship. It, yeah. There has to be a balancing act. And for any advice for anyone, I was actually just at lunch there. And one of the things that came up was um, all these women with amazing ideas, but they're not technical. Um, and so they're seeking out CTOs or a technical co-founder, but it's, it's hard to find these people. Any advice on how to go about actually finding the yin to your yang? I think I'm lucky because it happened, it happened really organically for me. And the more I, it, it, it is definitely a problematic area because I have so many conversations with amazing founders and they have such challenges when it comes to funding, customers actually getting to the market because they don't have somebody who's that mm. kind of technical background. And sadly, there's been so many horror stories where founders have tried to find an alternative method, which is work with a company and get them to build out the software. And before you know it, you know, a three month project turns software into a 12 month project and it's gone way over budget. I think if I was to have my time again and if I was to kind of be in the shoes of a solo founder, I would, I'd start looking in my network, male or female, somebody with a technical background. They, it, they don't, they didn't, they don't need to have been a CTO beforehand. It's trying to understand, can somebody code? Do they understand the language? Can they even be a CTO in terms of, can they lead a technical team? Not necessarily build it themselves, but do they have the language and the skills that to understand what you're looking to build. Mm-hmm. They have that that whole language. Um, so I would I would just be a little bit, I'd come at it in a different way. I'd almost go as if I'm trying to hire somebody. I would just look on LinkedIn for people's backgrounds and mm-hmm. in that network. I like to say go and meet people at events, but sometimes that's really hard because you're not exactly wearing a big, big badge saying, you know, I'm I see, I'm looking to be CTO. Um so it it, it, it it is sadly something that I do think a lot of founders do 
struggle with mm-hmm. because there's so many good ideas and we are living in a world where a lot of businesses need to be online so mm-hmm. that whole technical digital piece needs to be a big part of a lot of businesses yeah and so you so when did your entrepreneurial journey start then what year was that so it was seven years ago okay so a lot has happened in seven years I know you've been in the states you've been back in Ireland you've been in the UK talk to us a little bit about your relationship with failure and how this has helped you grow as a leader first of all and also as a as a founder because I'm sure there's been lots of bumps (laughs) along the way um I think what's interesting probably about my journey in comparison to other founders, I am lucky that I didn't start my journey off with being a mom or having a mortgage or having real life responsibilities. I started my journey when I was a student. I was used to being broke and I didn't know any better. I didn't know how things were done in a big organization. So I probably skipped quite a lot of steps without knowing. And sometimes that worked. For instance, our very first investor was one of the main um, people in, in Google Europe managed to get a meeting with them. <clears throat> and after I think my second meeting, I got my first investment check. I didn't even have a bank account to put it into. Um, and I did that because I reached out and, you know, I, I just was probably a little bit direct with my message and probably wasn't the normal approach this mm-hmm. particular person would get. Um, but then the disadvantage, I guess, in many ways is that I didn't know any better. So when the failures came and when the no's came, that was really, really difficult. And, you know, one of the things I really cherish and really value is any founder that can really be honest about their journey because it's hard. It's difficult, you know, to go and, and fundraise, you know, you are going to get no's 99% of the time. It's it's just part of, part of the process. Any, any company you can think of has gone through that journey and, you know, they're extremely successful, some of them, um, but it is hard. And that takes a particular type of person to be able to have that resilience and be able to kind of pick themselves up and and, and, and go to another meeting, you know, the, ne- the very next day or whatever, whatever, whatever have you. Um, so I did find that hard at the beginning, but then at the same time, I always surrounded myself with people that could help lift me back up. And that was done through being a part of Techstars, which is an accelerator program over in London, um where they helped you get through that um I guess the type of person I would be I would be very direct so when I would meet anybody who is in the founding um position I'd ask them straight out about their journey and um I would find I I would find that very comforting for me as a leader to know that okay what you're going through I'm going through so this kind of normalizes things just a little bit um being a female leader I didn't tend to focus on it too much because I feel you can get really distracted by it and you can convince yourself that all the no's that you're getting is because you're a female. And I just think that could be a dangerous spiral to get into. I always saw being a female as a, a big advantage because nine times out of 10, you're probably going to be, you know, the smaller group in the room mm-hmm. where, you know, will be the dominant male in there. Um, so it's how to stand out and how to be remembered. And like use it as your superpower as opposed to exactly anything else. And what other traits, so you mentioned resilient there, resilience. Uh, what other traits do you think have helped you thrive in, in your career? I think you just have to be authentic. And one of the lessons I've learned over the years is that um, you can spend so much time, say, building the perfect investment deck. You know, it can be perfect, 10 slides or 20 slides, absolutely perfect. 
Um, and at the end of the day, it means nothing. Having a business plan really doesn't mean anything when you're starting off because it will change week after week, day after day. People invest in you at the beginning because of you. And it's very obvious and it's very clear when somebody's sitting in front of you and they're not being themselves. They're telling you something that you think mm. they want to hear. Whereas I found I've got the best investors over time when I can sit down with them and actually say things actually aren't great. And I have this idea I'm not too confident about, but here's what I am confident about. What do you think? And I think people invest in people. Same reason people buy from people that they like. And I, I really do think it's important to be yourself any talk to any angel investor any investor actually at any scale they're investing in, in the founder because at the end of the day they're the person who have the the mission that they have the vision they're attracting people to work with them they want you know if if if, if they can really understand who, who you are and walk away from the conversation saying i actually really believed that conversation and i trust that person i think that's mm-hmm. that's something and i think you made a good important. point there around like vulnerability and you know, I'm really struggling with this or even asking someone for advice as opposed to money will often get you investment quicker than directly asking for money. Yeah. And again, it's all a balancing act because one of the most amazing things about being Irish is that we can, we can talk about anything for so long and we can dance around things and we can leave a meeting and then say, well, I actually didn't ask for what I wanted at all. Yeah. So it's trying to find the right balance. I've gone through meetings where I've been afraid to ask for investment. And oh, again, it just came with experience. It, I, I then was going into meetings and after 20 minutes, I'd be kind of saying, look, you're either in or you're out because, you know, we don't have a huge amount of time here. We need to close the round or whatever the case is. So it's about trying to learn and read people too. But again, I go back to what I said earlier, which is, to be yourself and, 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 and be honest, but definitely at the start, asking for advice will also help you find the right investor. Mm. And we were very lucky that we've genuinely had an amazing um, experience with our investors. The biggest lesson I learned at the very beginning was saying no. And that's such a powerful word for founders. At the very beginning, you will get investors that will, you know, some will be good, but actually some won't be good for you and your business. And we we were very lucky that we dodged a couple of bullets at the very beginning because we listened to our gut and then we just felt it wasn't a right move for us. And that gave us, I guess, the confidence to be able to sit down with an investor and say, I want your advice. What do you think we should do? And listen to how they would help you because money is one thing, but actually if you want an investor for, for other areas, like a network or if, if they can help you in, in a particular area that you're not the strongest, that's also a, a very important conversation to have. That's a really good point and really good advice, you know, for anyone who is raising because they might be so not desperate, but want the capital so much that they overlook how these people might be adding value in, in other ways or yeah. no value at all. Like exactly. You said. And I've there's again, it's been so many horror stories where founders have just said, OK, that's fine. I'll sign the terms or whatever it is. It's OK to say no. And yeah. it's OK to say I need a bit of time. If anything, it actually will work in your advantage because it shows that you're in control and that you're not panicking and that, you know, you're passionate about what you do. Um, for any investor, I think to put a founder under pressure or to feel or to back them into a corner, it's not the right investor mm. for them. And was it always just by listening to your gut? Is that how, was that your guidance? I, I, I think your gut is really important. Mm. I think we all have a really good feeling or a bad feeling about someone or something and it will I've always found it always comes back to bite you when you, you know in your head you're like it doesn't mm. feel right and there's been times I haven't listened to my gut 
and like one story in particular which is quite funny now looking back but I used to live in um, San Francisco and at the time I had a lot of um, founder friends in the area and a lot of them would be male and it would be very normal for them to meet an investor at say five o'clock for a pint or whatever yeah and they never had to think twice about that and this one particular time I was meeting an investor and it was meant to be at 3.30 and he asked could he push it to I think six o'clock or something and now in my head I was like six o'clock does that send the wrong message that's kind of outside of um working areas but then the other side of me was like do you know what I'm entitled to meet somebody for a drink you know what's the what's the big deal my male counter founders do this you know there's no reason why I can't and when I met this particular investor uh, in a lovely wine bar I was obviously straight into asking questions about the fund and you know how do they invest in companies and what the processes and 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 all the usual type of questions and midway through he stopped me and said Jane I thought this was a date not a business meeting stop (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and at the time, oh, was this an invest? he was an investor he wasn't an investor in us but he was an investor okay, he, was, yeah. he was part of a venture capital firm and um I think I was so shocked I think maybe because I was kind of early on in my journey as well I didn't really know what to do and I was trying to kind of look back over say at what stage did I give off did that impression yeah. <laughs> so it's just like again you know there's so many stories like that that I'm sure everybody has and it's just part of it's just part of your story um but I mean again it's it's just um it's just one way to to learn my therapist always says your gut is 99% always right yeah <laughs> so listen to it yeah and literally reflecting on it, I'm like and I remember at the time debating what myself in my head and I was like maybe it's not and again like the gut knows yeah the gut knows and so you were in San Francisco what were you doing over there were you fun, was, was it to fundraise it was to fundraise but one of our very first customers was Stanford University um so we spent a lot of time over there with them okay and did you notice um because you did raise money in San Francisco right yeah. did you notice a massive difference between fundraising in the U.S. versus fundraising in Ireland even like the mindset of it all uh, I, yes, if I'm being honest, in in the States, it is very much about the big idea. And it's not about what you're doing right now. It's what can you do? And I'm really thankful that we started our journey off there because it got me to think very big. And it got me to think about, well, why not? And when we came back to Ireland... And there was a couple of investors who probably would never have invested in us unless, you know, we had X amount in revenue and X amount of um, customers or whatever Mm. the case is. But it's very difficult to go and acquire customers and build your product when you have no funding. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't it, it doesn't work. So I really admire that in the U.S. mindset that they, again, will believe in the founder, believe in what process and what progress they've made on nothing in terms of like have they done market research have they gone out and got 10 customers to say yes I will buy this product if it's built and they'll invest in that rather than sometimes the mindset being here you know which is well show me your revenue but again going back to it's hard to do that (laughs) so I I still find that really difficult in Ireland to understand and I do think it is very hard for companies to get off the ground when they when that's the type of Mm. expectations that are being given to them 
Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And on a separate note, we were talking about it before, but you'd recently become a first-time mum. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. What's your baby's name again? <laughs> Ollie. Ollie. So tell me, becoming a mum, a first-time mum, as a female founder, what was your experience like? And were there any kind of specific challenges that you faced? Yeah, so I mean, again, it was a big learning curve because it was my first time having a baby. And... I'm very thankful that Laura, my co-founder, has two gorgeous um, kids and she was able to give me a bit of guidance in terms of like, you know, you're going to want to bounce back very quickly, but it doesn't happen overnight. In reality, yeah. So for a while, I'd say I was in a little bit of denial thinking that I'd have Ollie in February and that I'd be back in March. And uh, there's some things you can control, but some things you can't. And this was one of these things that were that was out of my hands. But one of the... Uh, I guess, things that I'm very grateful for myself. And as I mentioned earlier, I, I can absolutely acknowledge when, I, you know, it's time to bow out or I need help in a specific area. And I knew where Italiavest was at that time, that it wasn't the right thing for the company for me to, to step away for that amount of time. The company needed a, C, a CEO. We needed somebody to come in and replace me while I was gone. And being a mom... Um, is something that I didn't want to compromise on. I wanted mm-hmm. to really fully commit to that and learn about it myself. As I as I often say, it's like a startup in its own way, yeah. except just way uh, way less sleep. <laughs> um, so it, it really did the, the align kind of where I was and where the company was. And Jeff, who I mentioned earlier, who who is Laura's husband, but he came from a very um, experienced background in LinkedIn learning and building LinkedIn up from you know from the very early days to where it is now. And it was actually a perfect fit. And um, that was a huge relief now looking back on because I can't imagine what it would have been like. And I'm sure moms who are founders have experienced this mm. going to have your baby when your other baby still needs you there too. And I'm very grateful that I was able to step away and fully step away and enjoy that process of being a mom. But then again, you know, there's never a perfect time for for, for anything. Uh, but when Ali was only a couple of weeks old, we got approached about the company being acquired. And it was the right time for us to, to be acquired. Probably wasn't the right time for, for, for me, you because I was still <laughs> trying to figure out how to be a mom, but also trying to get back into the business um, mindset. But again, very, very thankful that I do, that I have a very strong team that, that really helped guide that whole process. So you had that breathing space, you could go on your maternity leave and not have to worry. Exactly. Okay. And so congratulations on the acquisition. Thank That's you. amazing. Uh, was that always the end goal or tell us like how important is it to have that end goal in mind or how has the whole transition been? So one of the early business lessons that I learned, I was, I think I was maybe 14 at the time. I remember sitting down in front of my granddad who started the shipping business and I was just again fascinated with you know how do you build a company and like how did you buy this ship and you know my whole thing was trying to ask you know what's going to happen to the company you know do we have to take it over whatever and I just remember really sharpening my grandad just saying like never marry your business it is a business businesses change don't don't be attached to it and I remember being devastated because he was almost kind of said in an aggressive way (laughs) and um that always held it to me because if you're not open to change, if you're not open to your business changing or somebody telling you, you know, nobody wants to hear your baby's ugly, but like you have to be in a reality check with what's going yeah. on. So I always had that mindset with the company. I 
really liked that I never worked anywhere else. I, I, I really liked that I was coming to work and I enjoyed the culture because I wanted a culture where I enjoyed coming into, which was, again, very honest, authentic, you know, always wanted people to feel valued um, because I would hate to work anywhere that wasn't like that. Um, so for me, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was a good time. Um Forgot the question there. No, no, no. I, we were talking about the 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 having that angled in mind. Oh, sorry, the angle. having the angle so, in mind. Yes, I did have an angle at the time. So it's really funny. So anytime you listen to a founder and they're like, "We want to be a billion dollars," it's really hard to become a billion yeah. dollar company. So for us, we never had like the end goal of being like, "We want to be a billion dollars." We would sit down and say, "Okay, what can we achieve in the next three, six, nine, twelve months?" But that being said, I was always open to the company being acquired. I was never closed off to it. You'd come across some founders that would say, no, I want this to be completely lifestyle business. I never want to work for anybody else. This is the way for me. Myself and Laura always said, no, we'd be very open to being acquired. We were really specific about how we wanted to be acquired Mm -hmm. because we didn't want our product to be kind of put to one side in a big organization. We wanted the company, if it was to be acquired, to be in a company where it could strive, where our employees would find a good home. Um, and where we could again work within an organization that was still in their journey as well that it wasn't going into a big organization where there'd be no room for it to actually grow in any shape or form so in a way yes we did achieve our goal but again we we were very open to always kind of moving where the goalposts were because markets change things change it's it's completely unpredictable and I think that's such good advice from your granddad around like not marrying your company or like I know so many entrepreneurs or founders who almost their whole identity is their company yeah. and it's not right because if the company I don't know if a pandemic hits tomorrow and their company closes overnight who are they exactly you know and yeah. um, so I think that's a really important message to have around the mindset piece but on that note I feel like there's a lot of talk at the moment with people well actually the time of year that it is looking into January people are thinking of will I make a move or pivot what do you think is really important to consider when making a pivot, whether it be your career or or your business? Or what what's kind of your thought process around that? I have many, if I'm being honest. Um, I think for anybody to consider going out on their own, I would work on what you're doing first in terms of is it covering your salary? Mm. Because it's hard enough starting a business. It's even harder starting a business when you're trying to survive yourself. Yeah. And I feel a lot of us don't talk about like the burnout of, be, of being a founder it's 24 7 you're on the whole time it's not that you can switch off at five o'clock you're wearing 20 different hats it's it's hard it is hard going and our time is valuable as well but it's important that you you can come home knowing every month like my paycheck is here my rent is covered what, what whatever it is mm-hmm. that's important to you and I think any stress that's added to being a founder is is not great so if I started again, for me to validate, I'd ha- for, that would be kind of a, a, a big KPI for me. I'm like, am I covering what I need to cover on a, on, on a monthly basis? Or can I go and get funding to help me actually achieve that? There's so many amazing founder stories where people have a full-time job and on the weekends they work on, the, on their company. And then again, when they get it to that stage where they're saying, okay, I'm confident I will be supported. And then they make the jump. Mm. Um, so that's, I think again where my mindset would be now just again because I'm now a mom because I now you know have a husband I have a mortgage like your life changes when I was a student sure like I didn't have to think about anything like that yeah, of course. so I think you have to look about where you are in your life 
And also, you know, one of the, the areas that I don't think a lot of us really think about really, really t- not taking advantage of, but kind of using it as an opportunity is coming from a big organization. There's nothing stopping you from going to your organization and trying to get a bit of support. Who knows? You could be making the most complimentary business to your to the company you're working with and you could partner with them you know so I think it's just trying to not have the fear with that either yeah. and just because you're still working full-time doesn't mean you can't go and take meetings with potential customers or whatever the case is there's no rule book a hundred percent and you mentioned burnout there what's your experience have you burnt out over the years or have you always avoided it or I think every founder um or I think anyone will always have a burnout story, mm. sadly. And again, I think it has come to light in the last couple of years that people really do openly talk about it. Um, I almost feel it was like a badge of honor at the very beginning that you'd be... It's like, I'm so busy. Yeah, you don't be bragging like, oh, I got like three hours sleep and yeah. I just off pizza. And the reality of it, it's not good for you. It's not good for your team. It's not good for your customers. It's it, there's Nobody wins when it comes to burnout. And I, yeah, I did. I really got burnt out um, kind of midway through my 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 journey with, with TallyVest. And it was, again, I was traveling quite a bit. Like you're always focused on the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And it, I actually changed my whole life after it because I decided, again, going back to what I said, you're no good to anybody um, at, at all, like including yourself, like your family and friends don't get the best of you. Your customers don't get the best out of you. Um so I changed my whole life. I decided that I wasn't going to work around the clock. Fitness and my my health and my food became my number one priority. Um, so which I now, you know, I exercise every single day. Um, you know, I went away to India and I did different yoga courses. You know, I'd be really not strict on my food, but I'd look at f- food as almost kind of to fuel, you know, my daily kind of outings or whatever I need to 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 get done so um I'd be and does that have a knock-on effect then on the culture and how your team members kind of show up and or how they look at work slash personal life I think so myself and Laura would be really lying like don't get me wrong like we we love to have a good time and again that's why Laura is probably my yang that she's the one who can stay out a lot later than I can I can't stay past 11 (laughs) um but at the same time, we'd rather go and have a really lovely meal together as a team and have really, you know, enjoy our conversations that way rather than trying to go out on all night, if, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. But we also have never had a culture where, you know, alcohol would be front and center. You know, some office environments would have bars and everything. And that's absolutely perfect if that's if that's what your culture is. But for us, we want we'd rather say, you know, take your Friday afternoon off and do whatever you need to do with your family or if you need to put into your calendar you know for one hour every day that's when you go for your run or whatever you need to do Mm -hmm. I'd rather have that type of culture myself um and sometimes like just to your point there um taking some time out whether it be a day or a week or whatever not necessarily doing anything but sometimes nothing can be more productive than this you know hustle go 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 kind of mindset like I do the best thinking when I'm driving Mm. you know so I mean strap me down to a desk I don't you're not going to get the best out of me whatsoever and I think you know I think that's really really important for for all of us to really accept about about ourselves that we all learn differently we work differently the nine-to-five culture was you know originated so long ago you know for a totally different industry and you know I'm most productive 
first thing in the morning time till maybe 11 or 12 and then I need to take a bit of a break and then I'll go back at it but I kind of feel that's why I'm excited about Go One because when we look at learning it's not just for the one person it's for like everybody so do you learn more visually do you learn more by listening or by reading or by you know images like how can we how can we support you the individual not Mm -hmm. you the the whole organization um and I really believe that too in in any work environment you need to be supportive of the individual not just what you think and what are your thoughts on the future of work obviously like so much has changed in the last two years with flexibility hybrid you know people are just working completely different ways than what we used to what do you think what's your view on what it will look like in the future or what direction it's headed in I think it's so sad that it took a pandemic for things to change and like it really did because I think a lot of organizations would say they're open to change but it's it's very hard it's very hard for organizations to change their whole entire culture and their whole entire ethos and their ways and how they work. Um, So I do think the pandemic brought a lot of positives for organizations, but at the same time, it's trying to get a balance. I do think people like having the flexibility of coming into the office, particularly if you're parents and (laughs) you want a bit of a break. Um, So I think we're still kind of in the trial and error stage at the moment with some organizations. So, I mean, for instance, my job is fully remote you know, our, we're headquartered in Brisbane in Australia and I'm obviously not flying over there every single day. Yeah. Um, but then the flip side is that, you know, it's lovely to have an office environment and to go in and get that support. So I think the workplace will be similar in the next year or so, but I, I think it'll be interesting when anybody's starting a new job that they can kind of say, well, I would like the remote option or I'd like to just work two days a week. I think it's interesting seeing the different, um, that there is different regions at the moment trying the four-day week. And Mm. I think that could be really interesting too. So again, it's going right back into that lifestyle and you're probably the better person in a a way, if you can say I can fit my my work week into four four days rather than the five days. But again, it has to be done by like the type of business you're into and the type of role you're in. So I think that has to. And it's so true. Like it does come down to the individual. I, I was telling you earlier, but I had to drive down to Cork yesterday. And so I had one hour in the morning to get like what I'd usually get done in a day. But I was so productive in that one hour because I knew what I had to do. My phone was away and I got it all done. And I was like, it just shows you that like we don't necessarily need to be working all these hours if you can, you know, work, work smarter, I guess. Smart, 100%. And tell me, so you're someone, the way I suppose the story that or the story that I've learned today, the importance of your network and how important has that been to you on your career journey? So, I mean, again, you know what I said at the very beginning, I, I believe business, is it's all about people. And I've been really lucky to be a part of different networks. So, you know, some one in particular was um, a com- community called the Shushman Foundation. They brought me to Israel for 10 days and I got to meet people from all around the world. I was the only Irish person, the token Irish person. <laughs> the token daddy. Um, and, you know, it was an incredible experience and again it's about being open-minded putting yourself out there I didn't know one single person there but I ended up coming back with you know the most incredible connections and networks that some are relevant some aren't but it then but sometimes you never know when you need somebody for a specific mm. thing um you know I've had textiles networks I've had different investor networks around the world um different women communities around the world as well um 
I always feel keeping your eyes open um but not joining something and being a part of me for the sake of it I think that's really really important so it's almost like looking at a networking event and not trying to get every single person's business card in the room it's always maybe trying to get one or two really good connections so somebody that you can actually leave that night valuable exactly um so for for me it's not trying to have the biggest network ever it's about having the most valuable network to me and impactful that I can pick up the phone and at least I can say how's your family and that's when we spoke yeah and I always believe it's better to give than to take and uh, I do believe you know that has a really big ripple um effect so um I'd often say to early founders you know if somebody says says no at the very beginning like listen to why they say no as well um, and always make sure they're part of your network in some shape or form so the next time you meet them it might be a yes but at least you're going away saying well I've kept you in my network I've kept you up to date Um, you never know when you need somebody and there's been so there's actually been so many instances in 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 my own career both personal and professional where I've reached out to people that I've needed help with along the way that I never thought I would reach out to um, so keeping in touch with those people has keeping been key. in touch yeah and it, that's hard to do mm. don't get me wrong but one of the things I did um a few years ago I set up um kind of a dinner series called ladies who dine purely because I love um <laughs> I love dining, dining out and good conversations <laughs> and it, every couple of weeks we did a different series with 12 different women from totally different industries and um we'd come together under a really lovely restaurant environment and we would just talk about things that we probably don't talk about to anybody mm. from our deepest darkest fears in the workplace to you know one mom having triplets and what that was like and you know I lo- absolutely loved that and kind of setting yourself the goal of meeting somebody new once a month something really simple and I used to love doing something like that because you shouldn't be meeting with someone with the mindset of what can I what can I get from them yeah it's about actually what can, I give? What can you give exactly. and it's it's a really important message around you don't need the biggest network in the world. It's the quality of the exactly. connections that you have. Like we do similar roundtables, dinners and, and lunches, whereby 10 to 12 women getting them together. And it's amazing. Like once you create that safe space, the conversation that comes out of it and, exactly. and the help, the help that happens between yep. each person on the table. Um, what talked to us a little bit about you know, we're living in quite uncertain times at the moment. Uh, you know, there's been multiple layoffs, more some industries more uncertain than others. What how have you navigated in your personal life, in your professional life, uncertain times? And do you have any advice for anyone out there who might be feeling that uncertainty right now? Yeah, well, I mean, now more than ever there is that uncertainty, but sometimes uncertainty brings really good opportunities too. And in a way, it's almost it's almost the best time to try something because so many people won't try anything, if that makes sense. So the best, if and again, I've been through it. So, I mean, I can absolutely relate. Like when COVID happened, you know, with Tally of Us, we had to do 360 on so many, so many things. Like, and I'm sure we obviously weren't the only ones who had to overnight drastically change everything yeah. from being <laughs> in an office to being completely remote and... Um, I think it's trying to be honest so what really worked well for us is that we communicated straight away to our customers what's going on Um, that was really important to be honest we didn't want to hide behind anything talking to your team um, again the best leaders I feel anyway again are the ones that are authentic they'll tell you exactly what it is what's going on they're not going to hide you know behind doors um, if there's uncertain times 
be open about it at the end of the day we're all we're all human mm-hmm. um at least you're giving people the options you know what they can do with that information you're, you're giving them that 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 flexibility but i think if you're a founder and you're in a position where you're, you're feeling nervous at the moment again look at your network who can help you who can you sit down with and say i'm, I'm not feeling good about this what can i do um if you're a founder that you're looking for funding yeah it's not a great time because people are scared with the market so what can you um what can you change so i was actually reading a story the other day about a, a fantastic female entrepreneur called jessica uh, ma she started a company called indonero and they were doing really really well they raised like a huge amount of money and overnight just something went wrong and you know they had to basically pull back she had to leave go of all of her staff she moved back in with her parents her co-founder moved in with her they started from the start and like that's just one story you know there's hundreds of them yeah. and I think it's so important for founders to know that like uncertainty is normal feeling nervous is normal things are never straightforward and if they were like that nothing great would ever happen it, 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 exactly there's not one successful company that has not gone through pivots they have not had oh shit moments they've not had like I'm panicked moments it's part of the course but for me I think it's important that just put your hands up and be like I need help or can I talk uh, people are there mm-hmm. um and just to know that you're not alone and how do you how do you continue to push yourself out of that comfort zone like has that always been something that kind of comes naturally to you or I guess it has um because I haven't I don't know any in any any other difference I I don't see uh barriers to people I guess I so because I haven't worked in a big organization me going directly to a CEO has never felt like I shouldn't go to a CEO if that makes sense mm. or going to the a manager whatever the case is um I view people as people you know what they do in their careers is something that I admire but it doesn't I don't see that as a block to why I can't contact them or, or create a, you know, a relationship with them. Um, and probably you never working in that corporate structure, like ignorance is bliss as in there's no, you weren't trained with this hierarchy that yeah. don't talk to him or, you know, and I probably know worked in your favor. <laughs> a lot of the times, particularly my husband, Paddy is like, you're mad. Like you can't just do that. I'm like, but why? Yeah. So I mean, like we had a funny one last year, my dad was 60 and his, um, his love and life apart from his family is you too it's just he's obsessed and for his birthday um I just got it into my head that I wanted Bono to wish him a happy birthday so I wrote honestly it's embarrassing even like remembering what I wrote it was like a four page four a four page letter telling Bono about how Ollie my son was called Bono in like as Bono the bump until he was born because my dad decided that my son was going to be called Bono um to us flying everywhere around the world to see them as a family that was our family holiday to see you too um like all these stories about how you two have been in our lives and I was like can you just write a happy birthday to my dad and he did no and way he sent down like a, a like a exclusive like picture and a, a, a lovely person looked to my dad and I just remember the time Patty being like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> this has to stop <laughs> so I just it's just natural it just comes very natural I guess uh, I love that story so much. And so to finish, to, to wrap things up, what is, 
what's in store for you um going okay we're december now um going into next year personally professionally what what have you to look forward to or what's ahead so this is a really new chapter it's um professionally it's one i'm nervous about because it is a really exciting company and i think it's a really exciting opportunity that i'm in um i believe in the company a lot i believe that my role will have big impact on the company it's trying to understand where to start how to grow how to scale and how to get used to this big new structure and um, so a lot of different emotions going on there but I'm four weeks in I feel like I've already been there for four years oh, wow. but I'm lucky I have a very good team and a very supportive team uh, personally again Ali is now nine months I don't know where the time has gone uh, I'm really enjoying being a mom but I'm also really enjoying being a working mom and that was a very scary moment because I didn't know what I want to return back to work after being a mom. Yeah. But I thankfully did for me. And that was a really, really important move. So personally, I think it's uh, trying to figure out this new lifestyle with having Ali in our lives, but still do the things that are important to us, which mm-hmm. is traveling and uh, having as many new experiences as possible. But professionally, I, I think it's just keeping the head down, trying to keep focused. I think go one is going to be you know, a very big part of my life. Um, so it's trying to work work that in and figure out how I can really put the shoulder to the wheel with it next year. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming in. I loved hearing your story. So many, so much inspiration to take from it. Um, and I wish you all the best of luck next year. Thank you so much. Thank you.